Isaiah 4 through 6. This is what the Lord says to me. I will remain quiet and will look on from my dwelling place like shimmering heat in the sunshine, like a cloud of dew in the heat of harvest. For before the harvest, when the blossom is gone and the flower becomes a ripening grape, he will cut off the shoots with pruning knives and cut down and take away the spreading branches. They will be left to the mountain birds of prey and to the wild animals. The birds will feed on them all summer, the wild animals all winter. Ryan Johnson, and uh, he's the head vendor at Weather Eye uh, Vineyards up on Red Mountain. And last week's message, Ryan gave us a tour of the vineyards up there, and I hope you were able to join us. Uh, if you missed it, I'd really suggest you go online and watch uh, just a lot of amazing insights. My name is Brian White. Uh, so glad you're here this morning. And uh, man, didn't Grimelda recover incredibly well? I couldn't believe that. That was awesome. Yeah, she's awesome. We have such a great team. So um, since we're paused, April uh, ran a half marathon yesterday. And if you see her, uh, might want to congratulate her. And um, I think Ryan Braltz, I don't know if he's here or not, but he ran there as well. And uh, just all kinds of stuff. It's fun to watch. So we started this series a couple weeks ago called Bear Fruit. And the first words that God spoke to humans in the first chapter of Genesis was this command to go bear fruit. And that runs through the whole Bible. Uh, you know, it's God created humans with an expectation, an expectation that we would bear fruit. Now, there's a partner theme in both Old and New Testaments runs throughout the whole Bible, and that has to do with vines and vineyards and wine. There's over 300 passages in the Bible dealing with vines, vineyards, and, and wine. And they're often used as examples, kind of illustrations about this call we have to bear fruit. We started with uh, one a couple weeks ago, if you remember from John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, and God, he says, God the Father is the vine dresser. And our fruit, he says in that passage, is, is love. That's, he gives us a command, he says, to love one another as he has loved us. Now, like I said, there's over 300 passages in the Bible that, that like that one, that use vines and vineyards and, and, and wine because vines and vineyards and wine were huge back in Jesus' day. And I think it's fair to say, and, and I do think we should pause, um, you know, some of us might be a little bit uncomfortable talking about wine in worship. And, you know, some of us may struggle with alcoholism or we may have family members or, or friends who have had struggles. And I'll tell you, I come from a Wesleyan tradition. And they have a very long, long history of prohibition of alcohol. Their founder, John Wesley, my hero, he was an Anglican priest. He was an Oxford professor in theology and Bible. And he led a spiritual revival in England throughout the, basically all of the 1700s. And his followers continued his work in the 1800s as the, the frontier westward movement went across the continent. Now, when Wesley started his work in England, it was a time of extreme, extreme poverty. And, and more grain was, was gone to uh, produce gin than to feed people, make bread. 
It was an issue. And so he and his followers, they, they cleaned up street drunks and they taught them job skills and they taught spinster women how to read and write and get, found them jobs and they founded orphanages and schools for street kids, many who were abandoned by their parents because, in part, because of alcoholism. And so the Wesleyans, against alcohol from the start, and that continued, like I said, across the frontier uh, in America. And because abuse of alcohol was a root issue of a lot of the societal issues that they were fighting against, they were trying to change. It's important to note, though, the Bible doesn't condemn alcohol, but it does condemn drunkenness. The Bible passages that use wine as an illustration they assume moderation. And, and the deal is, in biblical times, wine, wine was a part of every, everyone's daily life. Uh, in Jesus' day, everyone drank wine because water was not safe. Wine was safe to drink, uh, and the fermentation process meant that it would last a very long time. So it was consumed at every single meal. Everyone had a vineyard, everyone. Or they had a friend who had a vineyard and they would help them and they would partner uh, so they would produce enough wine for them to live. Wine was life. But back then, people couldn't afford to waste wine with overuse or, frankly, overdrinking. They actually watered it down quite a bit so it would go further. But they drank better wine, as we know, in their festivals and celebrations like John's story of wedding a Cana that we're going to look at in a couple weeks. Jesus turned water into wine at the wedding of Cana because good wine was very special and it was meant to be savored and experienced. So I grew up with Welch's grape juice for communion. And that's what we use here. May not be Welch's. I don't know. It's probably Kirkland. I, I honestly don't. <laughs> Welch's probably makes Kirkland. I don't know. But we recognize this point that alcohol might be a problem for some. But that said, it would be a shame for us to dismiss the over 300 passages in the Bible that deal with vines and vineyards and wine because they're beautiful lessons for our spiritual development. So that's what we're doing in this series, right? And when I first went up to Weather Eye on Red Mountain, my, my goal was simply to get to know Ryan. You know, we have a lot of new people right now trying to get to know them, and I was excited about that. And, you know, he gave me this tour up on Red Mountain, and, and God spoke to me up there. And by the time I got back to the church that afternoon, I, I had this sermon series already planned out. And so the first week, if you remember, we talked about our call to bear fruit. Last week, we talked about the concept of ter terroir, and, and that's basically the mix of the environmental factors that come together to create a very unique ecosystem for a vineyard. The sun, the wind, the soil, but, but the heat, the local vegetation, the altitude, the farmer's hands, we're going to look a little bit more of that today, they all come together to make a very, very distinct experience in every vineyard. The point, though, God calls us to bear fruit regardless of our environment. And everyone's terroir is unique, but we're all called to bear fruit. So whether I, up on Red Mountain, really hostile environment for growing grapes. But, but we saw last week that Ryan has been able to leverage that environment to grow just world-class grapes. Not in spite of but 
because of the stress that the ridgetop of that mountain puts on the grapes. So this week we're going to talk about the cultivation, how you prune, how much water you provide, how you, you choose to deal with your pests, how you choose to deal with weeds. All of that is part of the terroir. The next week we're going to look at harvest. I'm really excited. Uh, we went in the last couple of weeks to several different local vineyards as, as they're uh, working on their harvest. And I, I hope you see the vineyard as a, a parable for our spiritual life. Because we all start as this little tiny sprout, right? And we need care. And we need cultivation if we're going to bear fruit like God expects us to bear. So we're going to go back up to Red Mountain. Uh, and we're going to see what else we can learn about the care and the feeding of grapevines. And how our cultivation directly affects the fruit that we bear. More and more I see a trend towards less weed tilling and weed management in the vine row, which is the row where the grapes are, and then they can run a mower down the center. Uh, for us, because these grapes are already in a place where they could struggle, I mean, they, we give them a lot of stress through the environment, it makes sense to keep the vine rows relatively clean. Now, one thing we do, th do here, though, is um, promote the natives. So you can see the yarrow. On a dry year like this, the yarrow didn't do as well as it normally does, but it's, it's native. And so you give it a little bit of care and uh, get away its competition, and then the yarrow comes back. Now the super cool thing that we're finding is yarrow has a certain, certain smell to it, right? And so, you know, as we're walking down these rows and squashing it with our feet um, or picking grapes and, you know, we're standing on it, you actually get a release of these volatile oils and uh, we're finding that as people are processing the grapes like this stuff smells really sagey and smells like yarrow and that's our intent we want these grapes to smell and taste like weather eye and so that becomes the the fingerprint and that's terroir right it all comes back to that doesn't it so uh, it's very important for us promote the beneficials and the natives and um deal with the invasive species as best we can. And unfortunately on these narrow rows, that means string trimmers, hand hoeing. There's not a mower that we run through here. And so it gets really expensive. But again, um, this has been one of those cool projects where we've had resources to, to do the right thing at the right time. And our crew is amazing. And uh, I've worked with some of these folks now for 22 years. So a lot of the crazy ideas aren't quite as crazy as they were 20 years ago. And, uh, and they're just phenomenal folks. So we couldn't do what, what our goals are if it wasn't for them. It's, it's their hands that make things happen. So what's your environment? And who is your vine dresser? And what is the vine dresser's strategy for care and cultivation of your vineyard? See, there's an environment around you, and it's an ecosystem, right? And you have a lot of choice, and we talked about that last week, regarding your environment. The issue we got to get, we're going to have influencers. And who do they, we want them to be? I mean, the websites, social media, Facebook, Twitter, those are powerful influencers. But so are the people who you spend time with. You're going to have 
habits. Everyone has habits. But are they good or are they bad for you? How is your garden growing? Because you can, you can choose. You can choose to eat junk food and lay on the couch all day long while you play video games, or you can go for a walk. Now, the point is, you don't have to cut out video games completely. Somewhere Trevor Hollenbeck is going, and you can still eat chocolate. Tammy's going, naps can be really good. Trevor is going, but the, the issue is excess, right, in anything. How does your garden grow? Are you practicing the spiritual disciplines? Are you reflecting on your life? And, and are you offering those parts that, that need to be dealt with and pruned? Are you offering them to God? At WeatherEye, they promote other species to grow next to their vines because they're beneficial for the fruit. I just think that's profound because you can't separate yourself from everyone if you want to be a follower of Jesus because Jesus goes where people go or where people are. The beauty of of what Ryan says here is when when you choose to nurture what's going to grow alongside anyway, your fruit is even greater. So parents, I think you need to listen to that. You can try to separate your kid from everything, but eventually they're going to call CPS on you. You got to develop healthy patterns for your kids. You're, you're the parent. You, you are the boss of them, right? Regardless of what they say. So get them in the youth group. Get them in the children's ministry. And the same thing for adults as well, right? You, you're going to have influences. You need to make sure they're positive. And we need to realize that we're cultivating a habitat through the patterns that we create. But going back to the sagebrush here, right, this, this is important to us. This is, this is the site. This is the native species that were here before us. This is also a tremendous habitat for beneficial insects. So we're letting this plant help fight the good fight for us so that we can put less input in on the spraying and pest management side when we have allies in the field like the sagebrush. And also the yarrow and the rabbit brush are incredible habitats. And let's face it, this is not an easy place to grow grapes, and so any help we get is is much appreciated. Now, the, the cool side effect of having something like sage next to the vines is that it imparts its savory character into the fruit. And um, we like that. We feel like that's a part of Weatherize identity. And so we embrace that. Um, I guess the downside is that it does compete with these vines. And so they might struggle a little bit more. But then that goes into that how much stress is okay. And at some point, if we see that it completely shuts down this vine, then we might trim it up a bit. But really, it's, it's finding that balance and, and harmony out here. Um, we're fighting nature enough as it is. And so in a case like this, you know, let it, let it fight some of the battles for us. And it also acts in this case where wind does come up. You can imagine there's a little shelter behind it. So look at all those benefits just from something that was here before us. Yeah. Part of a vine dresser's job is pruning. Now, Jesus says he's the vine, we're the branches, and the Father is the vine dresser. 
That means the pruner. Now, I asked uh, Pat Tucker, who uh, has a nonprofit, Water from Wine. We're going to hear about that in the next couple weeks. But help us unpack what, what that really means a little bit. And, and uh, you'll notice, I, I think this is really interesting, um, Pat's Vineyard is based on a trellis system where Ryan's trained up like Christmas trees. And there again, the, the system is, is, is designed for the environment. So for steep slopes on top of a mountain, you know, you grow them up and you have more canopy. But for Pat's system, uh, he's, he's matched his system for his environment. So what we have here is a Cabernet Sauvignon grapevine. It's planted about 18 inches deep. Uh, this is the trunk. There's actually two trunks here. Uh, we, we take the best two shoots off of what we plant and we train them up onto uh, cordon wire. And this is a cordon. It's a, it's a real, uh, it's just like the other shoots, but it, it becomes, uh, we leave it over time and it grows quite big. It's about almost three inches in diameter right now. And uh, this is the, the uh, drip line irrigation. We can talk about that later. But uh, we've got the, the, the trunk, the cordon, and then these are shoots, uh, all these vines. We, right now we have them tucked into a wire here so they're, so they're going up. It's a, vert, it's a vertical shoot layout to where we try to get all the shoots going up so we can have uh, the sunlight come in. Uh, the sunlight on this side gets in because we take all the leaves off so the sun can get through, but the sun's traveling that direction. So on this side, we leave some of the leaves in place. But in the, after harvest in the spring, we'll come in and, and we'll essentially cut off all the shoots, cut off every one of them, leaving one every 12 inches or so uh, on, the, on the cordon. And then that shoot becomes the, the next year's fruit. The fruit is um, ready to harvest. We're going to harvest tomorrow, in fact. The uh, clusters are, are really nice right now. There's no dehydration. They're about 25 bricks, which means 25% uh, sugar. And that's, uh, that's what, after fermentation, the sugar turns to alcohol. And that's what creates the alcohol. But we're after uh, smaller berries. And so we actually deprive the plants of water um, at certain times of the year to get less of a canopy. This, this is, creates the canopy up here. We get less of a canopy and, uh, and fewer uh, clusters and smaller clusters. We like a small cluster with small uh, berries because the ratio of uh, flesh to skin on a berry the skin is where you'll get the flavors for your product. So Jesus is the vine, and we're the branches, and God is the vine dresser. And I really think it helps to visualize this. Everyone in Jesus' day, they would have automatically understood what he was talking about. I mean, that's a metaphor that they saw daily. But we need some help to really get at what he's saying here. The vine dresser wants our branches to grow good fruit. And, and frankly, he expects it. 
There's a lot of different strategies that the vine dresser will use, like pruning. You know, they prune the canopy, like Pat says, so that the vine and the branches get just the right amount of sunlight. But they also prune the, the branches. And, and the thing I think is profound, too many branches means you have too many grapes. And that sounds kind of odd, because isn't that the goal? But less grapes means energy is going to less fruit. So less fruit utilizing the same amount of energy that could have sustained a whole lot of grain cluster, grape clusters, that means it's better fruit. And same with water. Like Pat said, at times, uh, the vine dresser has to deprive the vineyard of water because the stress creates better fruit. Now, there's several lessons here. You know, our job is to produce fruit. And if we try to do everything, and we spread ourselves so thin, but if we concentrate our efforts on less activities that are more meaningful, the fruit of our labor is going to be more meaningful. When Pat and I were talking out in the vineyard, and the idea hit me when I was talking with Ryan, actually. I thought about a book a lot of us have probably read, a very classic business leadership book, Jim Collins, Good to Great. And it was, the point of the title was, The Good is the Enemy of the Great. If you're satisfied with good results, you'll never do what it takes to get great results. You have to prune some good branches if you want to produce great fruit. Because we tend to fill up our days, or at least I do. And, and if, if we want to bear great fruit, we have to cut out some good fruit so there's room. Meaning we have to say no to some good stuff. But that no is a yes to great fruit. Cutting off some good fruit creates space. And that's hard, but too many grapes, it means there's a lot of mediocre fruit that's going to be produced on our branches. But the same energy focused on less fruit means you're going to have a richer harvest. There's something else Pat brought up, and there again, Ryan said the same thing, and it has to do with the benefit of stress on the fruit. If we just gave these vines everything they wanted, they would just be fat and sassy and maybe lacking the character that we're looking for. Um, we're trying to make, make wine from these vines that's intense and concentrated, full of flavor and a singular character. And if we just gave them all the water and fertilizer um, and even more so, just kept porking them and porking them, then uh, you, would, you would lose that character. What the, what the stress does is it helps build thicker skins and some of the flavor precursors. The vines react to that and it becomes a survival mechanism. Uh, so believe it or not, there is probably a magic zone of stress. There's too much and there's too little. And what we found is already there's a whole bunch of stress naturally from being on top of a mountain or on the side of a mountain. And so then we just, it's kind of the art and the intuition of, okay, when do we pull back water? Um, how much fertilizer? And so for, for example, this block this year with all the wind and, and the, the heat, I feel like I was spoon feeding these, not giving them too much at any given time, but just enough to keep them going, keep them in balance. And you know, this is a really unusual 
training system where you can see the fruits way down here and you've got five or six feet of canopy. Uh, typically on a, on, a, on a trellised conventional system, you know, you might have three feet to four feet max of branches growing. And so um, this creates a really interesting environment around the fruit. More shade, a little more protection, maybe more things happening in the leaves that are translocated to the fruit, building character. So um, anyway, whatever they did hundreds of years ago, uh, we're stealing those ideas and, and applying, to, applying them to this site. I think that's profound that stress has a direct correlation to character. Too much stress can kill a plant, obviously. But no stress is going to produce just weak, tasteless fruit that has no character. You know, if you think about exer exercise, it's intentional stress that you're inducing on your body so that your body will grow stronger. And your body responds to that stress, right? And, and it grows stronger. You know, we always think that the perfect life would be spent on a beach towel in Maui. Just, you know, 100 years on that beach towel, you know, soaking up the sun. And for me, truth be told, that sounds kind of boring. But, you know, maybe 100 years on Maui, yeah, you know, or backpacking for my whole life. But, but whatever your vacation thing is, my point is. But would you read a book or watch a movie about a person whose life was spent on vacation, just soaking up the sun, swimming in the ocean their whole life? There's no plot. There's no character development. No stress. I, it'd be boring, frankly. Why would anyone want to live a life like that? Escape sounds great when our lives are just so filled with chaos and, and everything is urgent because we can't manage the stress of our everyday life. And that happens when our lives are like a grapevine that's never been pruned. You know, we're overwhelmed and we just want to escape. You know, in your mind, I want you to picture the, these beautifully cultivated rows, both up on Red Mountain and also uh, Water from Wine. And then compare them to the, the last overgrown blackberry bush that you had to deal with. And I've had to deal with some of my life. When you cut things back, you have less stress. And the stress that you experience has room in your life to develop some character. And you bear good fruit. You know, so often we hear, God gave me this thing to help me grow stronger. And that's another sermon, and most of you have heard it, but I really disagree with that. I've had to help people deal with horrible things that I just can't believe would ever be given intentionally by God to them. I can't believe... That's God's teaching tool to make us stronger. I mean, child abuse, rape, murder. Now, God can take any evil and use it for his purposes. He can force good to come out of 
any horrible thing that we might experience if we give it to him. When we do that, we will grow stronger, no question whatsoever. But if you're going through a time of trial and, and you invite Christ to walk through that season with you, you'll bear good fruit through the experience somehow. And sometimes it's not until we look back years later and we see so clearly how God was able to use that experience to bring forth life from what otherwise was an empty tomb or just a a dark tomb. Because that's how resurrection works. God brings forth life from death in ways we can never imagine or expect. Now, stress can bear good fruit if we realize that we're a branch. And together, we're all branches on this same vine. And God lovingly prunes us in the midst of life. The good, the bad, the ugly. And God knows we're going to experience stress in life. But the expectation is from Genesis on that we're going to bear good fruit. Not in spite of the stress that we experience, but in response right smack in the midst of it, because that's life. You know, if we're honest, I think so many of our stressors are self-induced. Mine are. And we can cut out a lot of inconsequential stuff, the things that overwhelm us, but those big things, they are a reality, and they're going to happen. But if our, our vineyard is being cultivated ahead of time, we can bear Amazing fruit in the midst of anything. But you have to stop trying to manage your branch on your own. You have to turn it to the vine dresser. Jesus once told a parable. He said, a man had a fig tree. It was planted in his vineyard. And he came looking for fruit on it, and he found none. So he said to the gardener, see here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and I found none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? And he replied, sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and I put manure on it and it bears fruit next year, well well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. You know, people used to plant fig trees in vineyards, kind of like Ryan was talking about. That it, it, It was, you know, good for the fruit. And there's a couple ways you can read this parable, but they kind of go to the same spot. It comes right after a section on repentance in Luke. And so Jesus could be the vineyard owner, and he's been seeking repentance for three years, his whole ministry is three years, right? And it's almost over, and it was this all a waste. And these people, they're not bearing any fruit, but he's going to give them one more chance, and that's the cross. But they have to repent or else they'll be cut down. There's another way of reading the parable. God had come to Israel over and over and over again looking for fruit, but the tree never produced. So Jesus is the gardener, and he comes, and he takes care of the tree, and Jesus gives everything, including his life. So the tree won't be cut down. But either ends in the same spot. 
If it doesn't bear fruit, you can cut it down. The expectation is that we will bear good fruit. What did Pat say happens after the fruit's been harvested? Just throws it in the middle of the row, and they cut it up. We didn't get it on video, but Ryan had this massive burn pile of branches just waiting for burn season. Because the fruit is all that matters. How's your garden grow? Oh, man.